Welcome to the Iowa Agronomy Update, where we talk all things agronomics. I'm your host, Brent Schwinnaker, and this podcast is brought to you by Asgro DeKalb Brand Seeds. Hey everyone, and welcome to a new edition of the Iowa Agronomy Update. Uh, we've got a new episode here today, and we've brought in uh, a former uh, guest of the podcast, Jeff Sernet. Jeff, welcome back. Hi, Brett. Good to be here. So, Jeff, if you remember from last year, Jeff, you were on last year and talked about some of the rapid uh, GDU accumulation we had last season. Uh, and and just to back up a bit, Jeff, your uh, title is commercial hybrid management or what commercial breeder right commercial development corn breeder yep, yep. so uh this is this would be the this would be the guy that's evaluating uh all of our products uh coming out of of the pipeline uh before they become commercial varieties and then helps us basically does all the observations that helps our commercial teams uh basically you know place these new hybrids in the right spot correct yep that's right. Yeah. So you're awful busy right about now. Yeah, it's a busy time here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, very very busy looking at, at plots as they as they mature. But the topic we wanted to bring you in for Jeff is really uh, kind of around uh, this uh, physoderma brown spot or physoderma stock rot um, issue that that seems to be uh, getting more and more uh, prevalent as as these years progress and as weather patterns uh, get to be more timely, you know, and maybe just give us a, a background of, of some of the history of, of physoderma and what, you know, how this has progressed to where we are now. Uh, and then maybe we can dive into those details a little bit after that. Sure. Be glad to. So uh, physoderma brown spot's been, been around uh, I think I, f I saw the first published paper from like 1919, believe it or not, oh, wow. early 1920s. Uh, it was a big issue actually in the southeast U.S. At, those, at that time we were uh, working with our growers, we were using a lot of open pollinated varieties. Uh, we didn't have hybrids yet at that time, so uh, it, it became a big issue, particularly the brown spot uh, phase of it. So. Uh, it's been around a long time. More recent history, it, it really started to crop up again, uh, probably in around 2010, 2011 type time frame, mm -hmm. uh, when I really started seeing it become a, a fairly significant issue with uh, node breakage yeah. at that point. And uh, we kind of took a year off in 2012 for the drought year. <laughs> yeah, It was still present. Right. But, and then we turned around and planted those fields back into corn in 2013, and we had quite a bit in, in 2013 as yep. well. So yeah. uh, the disease itself is has really, uh, it's, it's kind of an older disease, but it's kind of come back, I think, because we're conserving our soils, and that's a good thing. Yep. Uh, but, you know, we're not burying residue like we were through many of those years in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and mm -hmm. so on. So. Mm -hmm. I think the disease is uh, staying in the soil, you know, two to seven years is yep. kind of the estimate right now. So, yep. uh, you know, we can, we, it seems like it's become an annual occurrence here, right. especially the last five years. Right. So Nat, Jeff, just help us uh, understand that a little bit more. So uh, spores, you said, sticking around from, you know, two to seven years uh, in, in our soil and the residue. Uh, but then how do they... 
how as they're living there, how do they get infected or how do they get into the, the plant to infect? Right. So the sporangia will they overwinter in what's called a sporangia. It's it's a structure that contains the zoospores. Okay. Okay. And so with splashing action, uh, usually in the spring when it's raining, you know, yep. it's splashing up on the plants, uh, we'll get infection. We get that from a lot of different diseases yep. in that same way. So it's not anything special there. Uh, once the the splashing action happens, the sporangia are actually um, up on the plants again. Uh, you've got to have free water for this disease. Uh, the okay. zoospores are are kind of unique. They're a chytrid. Uh, they're the only class of fungi that produces a zoospore, so this is pretty unique. And what that really is not a big deal, but they have a flagellum or a tail, which means they have to have free water to be able to swim and thus infect. So um, that free water is key. Yep. And when we have those heavy rainfall events, when your crop is between V5 and say V9, yep. that's our initial infection period. Sure. So if you think about that timing right so you think about the 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 spores and in how they're sitting in there in you know in the environment and splashing onto the plant uh, and then the free water from v5 to v9 like you said uh, you know you think about that time of the year right and you've got well, it depends on the year, right? So let's, you know, let's look at this year versus last year. Uh, you know, last year we had our crop in, in in decent time and that V5 to V9 was was probably, what, Memorial Day to middle of June, sure. right? Yep. And, and then this year kind of depended, right? If you had April planted corn or June planted corn. Correct. So kind of walk through some of that timing wise as far as how does planting date in that timing stage and then the free water kind of affect that you know and and how and how does that sport does it just sit on the plant or does it sit down in the world where you know how does that how does that work out right the key thing here is um, when that free water availability uh, is in the plant your world is obviously your wettest place and that's why you with physoderma uh, brown spot the actual uh, leaf blight phase you actually see banding across that leaf. That's where mm -hmm. that leaf was at when the water was sitting in the whirl. Then it, you know, it grows the next day. Maybe it dries out for a couple of days, it gets wet again, and mm -hmm. you've got that banding pattern on the leaves. Yeah. So that's where your infection actually is occurring during that period of time. Sure. And then usually about 40 to 50 days uh, later, you'll have a next uh, basically reinfection cycle. Yeah. Uh, and you can actually see another wave. And a lot of that usually begins to go down further into your plant. You can actually start seeing the node infections begin at that point. Okay. And it's usually under your leaf sheaths. That's where the wettest point of the plant is late in the season. And like I said, even in years like 2012, you can still have dew and, mm -hmm. and moisture in those leaf sheaths down low mm -hmm. on the plant, so you can still get infections sure. there. But as you said, you know, you, you had to look pretty hard in 2012 to, to find it. Uh, but but it really needs you know that that kind of soaking kind yes. of free water yes. right and and so you think about it in our on our weather patterns right you know we don't get a quarter inch of rain anymore we don't get a half inch it's either it's either barely anything or it's three inches yeah <laughs> you know and yeah. so and, and does does that wet soil and then and then just that whole and wet environment just 
ramp it up at that timing? Yes, typically. It okay. Does. Yep. Okay. And that free water, I mean, typically, I think we've we've kind of estimated, or some of the uh, pathologists have estimated that anywhere from 48 to 72 hours of continuous wet conditions mm -hmm. are, are key for infection. Right. So if you've got an extended period for several weeks, like we had in some parts of the Corn Belt this mm -hmm. year, mm -hmm. uh, you've got a very wide period when, when uh, infection yep. can actually occur. Yeah. So let's, let's step back here a little bit, Jeff, and think about 2019 and, and how this played out across uh, the, the majority of the Corn Belt, right? So um, there, there was a, a little bit of corn that, that got in uh, early, and early we probably mean mid to, to late April. Uh, we probably had a, a another third of it go in in May, in, in middle of May, and then we had probably another third, it felt like, or not quite a third, but a, another planning window in that first week of June. So you think about those timings and, and when those plants emerged and got to that timing, you know, I'm assuming by what you've told me that that early planted date that probably emerged and got to V2, V3, uh, V4 maybe, and then sat there for a long period of wet timing. Is that early planted corn our most susceptible at this point this year? Uh, again, it depends on what you said about when the rain came. Right. So if the rain was, if 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 areas were very wet during V5 to about V9, mm -hmm. uh, those are the periods. Now, uh, Illinois, for example, southeast Iowa into Illinois, uh, western Illinois, mm -hmm. central Illinois, a lot of their earliest planting got in about the mid early 10th to 15th of May. Yeah. So that's kind of in that middle slot that you described. Yep. Well, we just had a wind event that came through a couple of weeks ago, uh, and a lot of that, a lot of those acres, which there aren't very many, right? Because a lot of it was planted in June, right? Uh, a lot of those acres are where we're seeing the actual node breakage now, because we had you know sixty to sure. seventy mile an hour winds. Uh, they hit those just right, and those yep. those uh, particular fields were actually. Uh, in that wet period while the rest of the acres were waiting to be planted. Hmm. So they were in that extended window right. of physoderma uh, susceptibility in my mind or infection right. period. So right. uh, the June planted corn, particularly in Illinois, was not very susceptible because it was it was very dry after planting for about six weeks. I mean, it right. almost stood an extreme yeah. point. So the infection was much less. Uh, because of that so yeah. the, the incidence is much less now. okay so if we think about this uh physoderma and we've got you know we mentioned the two different the two different main uh symptomologies right we've got the the brown spot in that mid rib of the leaf and then you've got the the stock rot or the the node yep. the node breakage right what do we know the factors that that play into how you know what determines whether it gets into the node or does it what determines it staying on the the leaf mid ribs or do we do we quite have that figured out yet or you know how does that play out is it still just environment we we still have a lot to learn right right <laughs> we're trying to learn as fast as we can right we still have a lot to learn okay I think the key thing Brian is we've got a We've got that early infection period, and yep. so the amount of inoculum that you have available in that early period has an impact later in the season as it relates to node infection. Sure. 
the other thing to take to keep in mind, and we've we've been running trials now uh, for probably I think we've been four years. Okay. This will be the fourth year we've yep. been running Pfizer-Derma trials. Uh, we're really trying to get a handle on you know germplasm performance uh, because there are some other morphological things going on, mm -hmm. particularly in the lower part of the plant, brace root development. Okay. How quickly does a, a genotype actually push uh, those leaf sheaths away from the plant uh, to develop brace roots? Mm -hmm. uh, and that is having a potential impact because you dr basically you're draining out the water, yep. the yep. free water that's at that node when brace roots begin to develop. Okay. So uh, those meristematic cells turn into brace roots yep. and subsequently you, you don't have a lot of water sitting there. Right. So. Uh, to me, there's a lot of things we don't understand entirely, but there are mm -hmm. genotypes that don't seem to have as much uh, trouble with the node rot. They may get some of the leaf blight, certainly, mm -hmm. but the node rot uh, is a separate matter in my mind. And so far, what we've seen is the correlation between the two is not real strong. Right. Other than if you have high physoderma uh, early in the season, your chances of it having node breakage are elevated of right, course right but Increases. to me that's just because you have a lot of disease available yeah so yeah lot of spores in in the environment exactly yeah okay yeah. so jeff you mentioned doing trials physodermin trials for the last four years right and so you know take just kind of walk us through you know what from from a, a company perspective what does it take to determine, hey, we need Pfizer trials. You know, you know, we you talked about seeing it in in eleven and thirteen heavily to all of a sudden then uh, in fifteen sixteen, hey, we need trials. And then how do we, you know, what what goes into those you know decisions to you know as as we've seen this ramp up. You know, is it just you know we're seeing it ramp up so fast or, you know, from your just walking plots or, you know, how do those decisions play out to start focusing in on specific physoderma trials? Right. Uh, well, the number one thing is walking a lot of corn. That's, right. That's where you see this. And uh, then you begin to, to see our customers are, are struggling with this disease in mm -hmm. various parts of the country. And it's sure. usually where the heavy rainfall bans were in June and yep. early July. Uh, so just, you know, having a passion for trying to so help figure it out so we can help solve some problems mm -hmm. and select germplasm that maybe growers can uh, switch into uh, if they've had a problem with physoderma mm -hmm. in the past uh, and just trying to uh, design the trials around figuring out uh, which side of the spectrum are the are these hybrids? Right. Are they more sensitive to this, mm -hmm. uh, or are they tolerant to that? And so we've designed trials to to try to get at that mm -hmm. uh, particular question. The other thing that we've done, and we've actually got a, a, a fungicide trial with Allison Robertson yep. at Iowa State uh, University again this year, uh, where we're actually looking at uh, can we uh, reduce incidence some in an early treated scenario and then also like a, a V7, V5, V7 type scenario and then also uh, a normal fungicide treatment timing of R1. Okay. Uh, we don't think the R1 is going to have a lot of effect on node rot. Um, right. It's a hypothesis okay. because we're probably not getting as much of that uh, fungicide down deep into the canopy. Right. Uh, but we don't know. Right. So we're trying to sort out, uh, you know, what is the effect fungicide can play in this, uh, or if any. Right. And because there are fungicides labeled, 
uh, already, and we sure. started some of that fungicide work actually back in 2016. Right. So uh, several years ago. Before we sold fungicides, right? right? That's correct. <laughs> but again, it was all in the gist of trying to help customers. Yeah, sure. I mean, because we know that this is a, an issue that's been fairly uh, consistent yeah. over the last several years, and yeah. uh, so I guess that's kind of why we've taken up the taking up the yeah. the torch on this one. Yeah, no, and and you you mentioned kind of taking up the torch. I know you've been you've been very instrumental in in working with Allison at Iowa State and yes. and just kind of go through, you know, what does that mean to to partner with with a third party like Iowa State? Well, it's it's been fantastic. Allison is a great researcher and an excellent scientist right. and she's uh, a joy to work with actually right. when it comes to trying to sort out um, really what's going on from a biology standpoint, you know, an environment standpoint, and trying to, to figure out if we can put these different pieces together, uh, can we come up with better recommendations for growers mm -hmm. that they can, we can help solve this problem right. with them. Right. There, there's a lot behind the scenes, right, to how, um, when it comes to disease, how to set up proper research to basically get to your end result right i right. mean it, there's probably way too many factors to go into here but just to understand that it takes you know multiple partners looking at the best way to do this right and then you get into the systems piece about you know uh early fungicide you know what's the hypothesis here and and yes. there's a, there's a really a lot of things going on here uh, environment-wise, timing-wise, systems-wise, to truly understand. Yes, it's a complex uh, puzzle, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> and I've still got a lot to learn. Right, and so, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's that's good for the audience to know. Right, is that we still have a lot to learn. And we've been focused on this, like you said, for um, six to eight years. Correct. You know, and that that's a lot of emphasis in a long period of time and we're still learning, yes. uh, you know, and that, um, you know, that, that hats off to, to you guys for, for going at this for our, our growers, uh, for our growers perspective, Jeff, you know, what, what have we learned in the four years as far as, you know, you said that there, there are genetic differences, right? Yes. And you kind of mentioned some of the brace roots and timing there, but you know, have we how far are we in identifying the genetic piece of this uh we still have quite a ways to go on that part yeah um but we're getting we're getting a data set now that i think we're getting more comfortable with knowing uh we can at least begin to put germplasm in buckets right um you've always got a bell curve of mm -hmm. of from susceptible to tolerant right. if you will right nothing is immune but uh, susceptible to tolerant and I'm specifically talking about the node rot because to me this is a high yield disease I've mm -hmm. seen it primarily uh, well not in every case but in most cases in high yield scenarios and that's why I call it a heartbreak disease because right. you've got a high yield crop set up it's a fantastic you know looking crop you've yeah. got high yields big ears uh, plenty of grain there uh, but then this disease sets in on the nodes mm -hmm. and you can potentially see those plants actually break off. Mm -hmm. And that to me is a heartbreak right. when, when that happens. So, right. you know, we're really trying to get to a point where we can say, okay, if you've got this scenario in the past, let's look at these types of hybrids. So mm -hmm. that's my goal is to try to give options uh, right. in, in that germplasm. So 
three years ago, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that. Right. But now I've actually got germplasm that's kind of starting to get into get into those buckets. Right. If if we had some advice for our growers to maybe let's go out and maybe evaluate our levels, right? Maybe especially if you've seen it in the past, you know, now how do we how do we measure how much do we have or should we be going to certain fields first to harvest um, just to lower your risk? You know, what's the best way to go go check that, right? Should we just be go doing a push test on stocks to see what breakage, what level of incidence we have? Or, you know, what's the, what's the best recommendation there? Yeah, you can, uh, the push tests work pretty well. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, take 10 or 20 plants in certain parts of the field. Uh, if you've got a history uh, and you, you know it's physoderma, I think the most important thing is when growers are harvesting, if they've got corn laying down, I, I know we get really busy, right. but it's good to stop and see why. Right. If it, is it broken off at the node and your head's going right over it, mm-hmm. that usually is physoderma. Or if it's just bent at the inner node. Those are two very different things, sure. usually two disease, different diseases. So if you can at least categorize it into this is physoderma or this is not, then you can begin to think about the next steps of management, rotating into soybeans. You're not going to eliminate the problem, but you know you could reduce the incidence versus right. planting that field back to corn on corn. Uh, hybrid rotation is important for trying mm-hmm. to eliminate, you know, allelopathy issues and things like that as sure. well. But for physoderma, it's paramount because susceptible hybrids will be more susceptible the next year with a bigger inoculum right. load. So, right. you know, uh, using cultural practices can help. And then, like you said, you know, prioritizing harvest timing yeah. is, is important too. Good. Jeff, you know, I I don't want to put this to bed, right? Because you, you mentioned, like, we, we have a lot to learn. Um, and I know you guys are, are doing your, your, you know, ultimate um, best to, to do that and partnering with some of the best partners to learn that. But, and, and this is typically how it works, right? So, you know, you're, you're focused on Pfizerderma and learning all we can and then... Um, tar spot comes in and says hey you know look at me you know don't yep. you know hey i i'm i'm coming in from the from the east and and guess what now we got something else to learn about uh you know so how does how does a commercial corn breeder uh balance two things that that are becoming more, uh very prevalent yep yeah so tar spot uh particularly last year uh, in 2018 was a fairly significant issue in the Corn Belt, there's sure. no doubt. Uh, I do think we had uh, really kind of some perfect conditions leading up to that inoculum development uh, from 2015 through 2018, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. Um, as a corn breeder, these are big issues to us mm-hmm. because we know it's going to take some time to adapt genetically in the field to try to you know manage these issues. Fortunately, with tar spot, we do have fungicide options. Sure. Uh, if we time them right, that are that appear to be fairly uh, effective. Effective. Sure. So that to me is uh, more of a buy time scenario. You know, those right. are good tools now, but we still need to look for a genetic solution to this. Sure. Uh, in temperate germplasm in North America, so. Uh, there's a lot of work that is now going into that. You know, we continue our physoderma work, but we're also, mm-hmm. you know, trying to focus uh, effort and work on tar spot. The challenge with tar spot right now is um, there really isn't a, a good way to uh, inoculate it for it. Um, 
artificially. Sure. And really, until we get to a point where we can do that, we can't uh, probably do a very good job of selecting because we have to have the disease present all the time to select mm-hmm. for more tolerance. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a lot of work in that space right now uh, with universities uh, and w- within Bayer as well to try to actually uh, uh, come up with a, an assay, as we call it, to mm-hmm. do the screening work. Mm-hmm. Uh, because right now we're at the mercy of Mother Nature to help us screen. And yeah. uh, as you know, it's been a very cool year in 2019. <laughs> yeah, We don't know if the overwintering and the, the tough winter that we had from really the end of December up and through March uh, reduced inoculum load to a point where mm-hmm. uh, the whole disease is reduced. That's good for growers, mm-hmm. by the way. Mm-hmm. But uh, we don't know if that was part of this, and then the cool temperatures, our disease triangle looks very different than it did a year ago, mm-hmm. at least mm-hmm. right now. And I spent some time in our Waterman Research Station just earlier this week to, to actually look at uh, tar spot and physoderma. And there was very, very light incidence of tar spot there, whereas a year ago it was prevalent hmm. in this same location or yeah. in the locations I was looking yeah. at this week. So uh, a very different environmental s- setup right now. But sure. it doesn't take our focus off right. of, you know, trying to look for options uh, for tar spot tolerance. Yeah, and I, I guess I just the, – the one thing that I could – if I could tell our audience about, you know – Jeff, you and your your colleagues is this is this is really stuff that you guys thrive on, right? This is stuff that yeah. you get up in the morning and you guys are determined to find solutions. Uh, and I I saw it firsthand in my career how you guys handled Goss's will and and how um, you found solutions to test and research that and find a way to uh, turn our our germplasm into um more from a weakness to a strength right so this is something that i i wish everybody could see that that's listening to how you guys uh, take these you know so-called um you know bat you know diseases and environments and and kind of uh i don't know what you want to call it here but but really just these these specific things and turn it into opportunities, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And and really, um, we just want to thank you for all the work that you're doing on this uh, and your partnerships and, and collaborations. It takes, it takes a huge team, Yes, you know, yeah. to, to do this. And, um, you know, and, and certainly want to appreciate all your work, Jeff. So yeah. thank you. And I want to recognize our pathology and plant health teams yeah. and our automation teams. I mean, there's so, like you said, yeah. there's so many people, but without the, all the people working together yeah. in those groups, I mean, they've been profoundly fantastic right. to work with. And uh, those are the, that's the type of collaboration you need to solve problems of this magnitude. Right. Uh, yeah, because, you know, even as simple as like, we probably don't even have a rating scale, right, for tar spot. That's and, and you probably helped, <laughs> you, you probably helped develop the rating scale for physoderma, right? So, Correct. and so it just, it, it takes, it takes a full team to, to do all this. So, Jeff, hey, thanks a lot for being with us. We'll, um, I'm sure we'll be back and hopefully it won't be another year or so, but um, we'll have some corn start coming out here in, in a few weeks and maybe we'll come back and visit on what, what we're seeing in the field. Very good. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Jeff. 
and join us again here in the next few weeks as as corn does start to come out. We hope to to get out to some plots and get some instant reaction here uh, from the field on what we're seeing uh, as far as yield and what performance looks like. Thanks a lot for joining us and check back in again.